If it's your first time with us today, we are so glad you're here. Uh, we hope that you uh, know that you're loved and valued. We, we really want to get to know you and walk along this journey with you uh, so that we can all grow in Christ together. Um, today we're picking back up in John chapter 8, right in the middle. Um, and just to warn you, y'all, we are stepping into a boxing ring. It is getting a little punchy um, with Jesus and the Pharisees. Uh, just to get straight to the point, Jesus comes out in our text and says to the Pharisees, uh, he says that they are children of the devil <laughs> and that by the end of our text, they're trying to stone Jesus. And Jesus reveals and reminds us in our passage that the life that we are living is war. We are living in the middle of a spiritual war. And up to this point in John, uh, the devil hasn't really been mentioned that much, maybe once. But today in John 8, it's all out on the table. And through Jesus' conversation with the Pharisees, uh, we're going to get insight into many of the devil's tactics. And I know as soon as we start talking about the devil, uh, it gets kind of weird and creepy. <laughs> uh, because thinking of demons, it freaks people out. Like it just gives people the heebie-jeebies. Uh, because maybe you think of movies like The Sixth Sense or The Exorcist or just generally how Hollywood portrays the paranormal or demonic activity. Uh, and when we talk about dev the devil, our, often, our mind often goes to those creepy movies. And I had a friend uh, that moved in across the street from my family's house when I was in college. Uh, his dad, he, they bought the house while knowing uh, the lady who lived there prior that I knew, um, she died in the house. Uh, she, she died in her rocking chair. Her name was Miss Stoltz. She lived right across the street. And they were convinced, they were convinced that a ghost was in the house because uh, they, were like, they were legitimately scared. The parents, all the kids, the college kids, they're all scared. They really freaked themselves out uh, because doors, they, they said they were randomly shutting. A rocking chair in that same room uh, was kind of creaking where uh, Miss Stoltz had died prior in, that, in her rocking chair. It was an old house and they would hear strange creaking noises. And as college kids, we were just fascinated by it. You know, when I was home for the summer, and they would invite people over, and we played hide-and-seek at their house at night in the dark just to scare each other. Um, <laughs> and I don't think it helped them. That you know, I, I started to tell them how uh, she never came out of her house. Um, she, she always kind of stayed behind. Uh, we always talked to Al, her husband, and she always kind of stayed in behind, like behind Al. She never left. Um, she had like 10 cats in her house. She was like this anonymous cat lady. Um, you know, growing up, we, we joked about how we thought she was a witch, which really fed in this whole narrative. You know, I thought it was funny at first, but then they got like legitimately scared. Like everyone was a little freaked out. Like the mom, she couldn't sleep at night and they had people come and pray over the house. Um, it really uh, freaked them out. Now were there ghosts? I don't know. I don't, I don't think so. The Bible doesn't talk much about ghosts uh, other than people thinking Jesus was a ghost when he was walking on water. Um, you know, I personally think they started to just believe it and created a false narrative in their minds. But although uh, the Bible doesn't talk about ghosts, the Bible does talk about angels and demons and spiritual warfare. So was there demonic activity? I don't know, maybe. Uh, it moved him to fear and worry, so maybe at some level. But y'all, uh, and y'all, we could talk about demons on so many different levels. But here's the thing. If we feed those thoughts and empower them, the devil can certainly use them against us. And I'll say this, yes, being around the world, I have visibly seen and witnessed some very strange, creepy, and demonic things. But for us here today, most of the time, the devil's activity in our life is way more subtle uh, than creepy, like, googly eyes and witchcraft and creaking rocking chairs. Right, the, devil's, the devil's tactics for us are often way more sneaky and alluring. And they often manifest themselves uh, leading to things like uh, addiction, and materialism, 
and apathy and pride as well as so many other things. And I have no doubt in my mind that the enemy sends things our way to discourage us and cause us to fear. But I also need to, I also need to say we, we need to be careful, not to say that every hard situation is demonic. Maybe it is, maybe it's not. Uh, but we also, know it, what is, we also know is true is that a lot of difficulty we experience is simply because we live in a fallen world. There are things outside of us and inside of us that are disordered and marred simply because of the fall, because of the brokenness of the world. Every difficulty is not a demon. But we better believe the devil certainly feeds into those things uh, with a few unique tactics that we will look at today. Because listen, at the end of the day, the devil is way more interested in leading us to sin and disobey God than giving us the heebie-jeebies. And if we think it's better to not talk about the devil and we stick our head in the sand and ignore it before we realize it, we can easily fall into the devil's traps. Again, if our life is spiritual war, we need to know the enemy's tactics. And awareness of his strategies is one of the best defenses. And again, I'm not, I'm not saying we go looking for the devil around every corner and every bush and in every conversation, but I am saying we certainly can't ignore it. And as we'll see, we, we don't only need a good defense, but we also need a good offense in war. Because in war, taking over enemy territory and advancing on enemy ground uh, to bring restoration and lasting change, it weakens the enemy and it strengthens the victor. And it is essential in wartime strategies. Just to remain idle and, uh, and, and, and to not lay new stakes and claim new territory, to see real change on enemy ground, uh, the enemy will come back fighting. And so today, we're going to see a hard reality in this, uh, in this spiritual war we're in. In this war, there are two sides. There are, there are two opposing military units. And both sides are both spiritual and physical. Every person in the world is on one of two sides. And our, this spiritual war that we're in, it is realized in our real life. And I, and I know what I'm about to say uh, may not sit well, uh, but Jesus said this, not me, okay? Uh, and it's that we're either children of God or we're children of the devil, which is our main idea. We're either children of God or the devil. Those are the only two options. And I know this is hard. <laughs> this feels super intense. This can make us squirm. It can feel like hate and unloving. It feels a little brash because our culture does not like exclusivity. But we have to agree that if, thi if this is true, this is really true, and we don't bring it up, and we don't talk about it, that would be terribly unloving. Last week, we saw in the first part of John 8, seeing how we're on a journey to heaven, we used the picture and analogy of being on the right bus. Well, today, we're going to see part two of chapter 8, as Jesus continues the same interaction with the Pharisees, seeing a different bus. It's the other bus. If we saw last week God driving a bus towards heaven, this week we're going to see the only other bus. And it's the bus the devil is driving towards hell. Again, I know this is intense. Like, I'm not mad at you, okay? Um, I'm not trying to scare you. I'm not trying to guilt anybody today. I'm just pointing out what Jesus brings up in our passage. And we'll see that the Pharisees also thought it was intense, which is why at the end of this chapter they tried to stone Jesus. Because Jesus basically told the Pharisees they're on the bus towards hell. Uh, so this is what we're going to do today. 
We're going to reread part of what we read last week, uh, get all the way through the end of the chapter. We're going to spend about eight to ten minutes working through this text, teaching a few things. And on the back end, we're going to have two opposing points, seeing the devil's tactics uh, that will come right out of our main idea. So follow along with me, starting in verse 31 of chapter 8. So Jesus said to the Jews who had believed him, If you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples, and you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. They answered him, We are offspring of Abraham and have never been enslaved to anyone. How is it that you say you will become free? Jesus answered them, Truly, truly, I say to you, everyone who practices sin is a slave to sin. The slave does not remain in the house forever. The son remains forever. So if the son sets you free, you will be free indeed. Okay, so I know we looked at this last week, but last week we focused on Jesus's words, uh, on on abiding in Jesus's words and being freed from the bondage of sin. Uh, But the part we did not touch on uh, was the part about Abraham. And the part on Abraham runs all the way through the rest of chapter 8. And this is a quick quick, uh, cliff note teaching on Abraham. Abraham was a man uh, that we see at the very beginning of the Bible, starting in Genesis chapter 12. And there we see that God came and God spoke to Abraham and made a promise that all of Abraham's descendants would be blessed. And to make one of my favorite Bible stories really short uh, and to the point for today, uh, it was considered a really big deal to be from the lineage of Abraham. Because in Abraham's family, there was a promise of blessing. There was a forever blessing uh, that they understood as eternal life. To say it a different way, okay, these Pharisees that we're looking at today that Jesus is talking to, he believed, they believed they had a ticket to heaven simply because they were from the lineage of Abraham. And Jesus, he's coming in, he's flipping that idea upside down because that blessing and promise uh, was fulfilled through Jesus, And Jesus came from the line of Abraham. And so look at verse 37 and 38. Jesus said, I know that you are offspring of Abraham, yet you seek to kill me because my word finds no place in you. I speak of what I have seen with my father, and you do uh, what you have heard from your father. So Jesus affirms that, yes, they're from the physical offspring of Abraham, but he's pointing out that they don't listen to Jesus. And he says, they have, they, Jesus and the Pharisees, they have different fathers, Look at uh, the next two verses. They answered him, Abraham is our father. Jesus said to them, if you were Abraham's children, you would be doing the works Abraham did. But now you seek to kill me, a man who has told you the truth that I heard from God. This is not what Abraham did. So back in verse 37, Jesus affirmed that yes, they were Abraham's offspring. But here in verse 39, he's pointing out they're not his children because they're not listening to Jesus. And it seems like Jesus is contradicting himself, but what he's doing is pointing out the difference between a physical family and a spiritual family. Yes, they were physical, they were physically the offspring of Abraham, but being God's children is not is about belief in Jesus. It's it's not a lineage. Which reminds us that this is very uh, and this is very important, we're not Christians because we're born into a Christian home or family. That's not what makes us Christians. We're not Christians because our parents are Christians. We're not Christians because our grandparents are Christians or anything because of our history or background or culture. No, we are Christians only through believing in Jesus. And when we believe in Jesus, God becomes our father. And we, everyone in this room who claims Christ, we become his children. And this thought for the Pharisees, it was crazy. 
It seemed to go against everything they ever knew. All of their confidence was in their family lineage. They thought they were children of God because of their ancestry. And what Jesus is doing here is showing them, no, they're not children of God like they think. And then he lays down with the gauntlet and the hammer. Look at verse 41 to 44. Jesus said, you are doing the works your father did. They said to him, we are not born of sexual immorality. We have one father, even God. Jesus said to them, if God were your father, you would love me. For I came from God and I am here. I came not of my own accord, but he sent me. Why do you not understand what I say? It is because you cannot bear to hear my words. You are of your father, the devil, and your will is to do your father's desires. Jesus just straight up told these Pharisees that they think they are children of God, but he says, actually, no, they are children of the devil. Their, their father is the devil. I mean, how alarming is this? This is Jesus being direct and to the point. These people, their entire life, have thought they are children of God. And Jesus just said, nope, God is not your father. Your father is the devil. Okay, so whatever picture we may have of Jesus being non-confrontational and being passive, that is just a bold-faced lie. He just looked at these religious elite Pharisees and he said, your father is the devil. And just as a passing note of warning, uh, what we see from this interaction and is talked about in scripture often is that there are many people who think they are Christians, they think they're Christians, but in fact, they're not. We, you may have friends, family members, classmates who believe they are Christians for various reasons, but they are not because they don't understand the gospel. They don't have what makes them a Christian. They have not put their faith in Jesus. We all have many people in our lives that have to first, we have to first convince that they're not really Christians and then share the gospel with them. Just because someone goes to church does not make them a Christian. Do not assume if someone claims a church and says they attend a church that they know Jesus as Savior. And in all honesty, there are many churches throughout America that are filled, filled with people that are on the bus to hell and it is alarming. And I can say this very directly, knowing that it's true, because this was me for 16 years of my life. Like, I thought I was a Christian because I memorized Bible verses, I celebrated Christmas and Easter, I got the highest rank at a Christian sports camp, wore the robe and rang the bells in the Methodist choir, was sprinkled as a baby, was confirmed in the Presbyterian church, and my grandparents were faithful to their Baptist and Lutheran churches. And yet, it wasn't until I was 16 years old that I realized all those years, I, in fact, was not a Christian. What finally made me a Christian was seeing the weight of my sin and realizing that Jesus paid the penalty for it at the cross. And my trusting in Jesus alone is what makes us Christians. That alone is what makes us children of God. And these Pharisees thought they were God's children, except they did not believe that Jesus was God therefore making them children of the devil, which will be our first point, but we're going to come back to that. Let's keep reading. Look at verse 44 to 47. We we'll read verse 44 again. You are of your father, the devil, and your will is to do your father's desires. He was a murderer from the beginning and does not stand in the truth because there is no truth in him. When he lies, he speaks out of his own character for he is a liar and the father of lies. But because I tell you the truth, you do not believe me. 
Which one of you convicts me of sin? I tell the truth. Why do you not believe me? Whoever is of God hears the words of God. The reason why you do not hear them is that you are not of God. We're going to come back to these verses later and dig into that a little bit, but let's, let's keep reading. Look at verse 48 to 50. The Jews answered him, Are we not right in saying that you are a Samaritan and have a demon? Jesus answered, I do not have a demon, but I honor my father, and you dishonor me. Yet I do not seek my own glory. There is one who seeks it, and he is the judge. So after he tells them their father is the devil and that they're not of God, they come back and say to Jesus, uh, I think you have a demon. <laughs> uh, it seems like the ultimate playground com comeback. Like, uh, I'm not a demon. No, uh-uh, you are. <laughs> and then Jesus is like, no, I honor God. Uh, and look at verse 51. Jesus says something astounding. Look what he says in verse 51. Truly, truly, I say to you, if anyone keeps my words, he will never see death. What a statement. If I said this, if I said that to you, you'd think I was crazy. It's like if I said, if you keep my words, you will never see death, um, you'd think I was crazy. But that's what Jesus said. We're, we're, it's great. We're going to come back to that. But the Jews thought he was crazy. Look at what it says. Look what he said. The Jews said to him, now we know that you have a demon. Abraham died as did the prophets, yet you say, if anyone keeps my words, he will never taste death. Are you greater than our father Abraham who died? And the prophets died. Who do you make yourself out to be? They're like, wait a second, everybody dies. Even Abraham died. You're saying if someone keeps your words, you'll never die. They think he's crazy. Look what he says back. When they're asked, well, who do you think you are? Jesus answered in verse 54, if I glorify myself, my glory is nothing. It is uh, my Father who glorifies me, of whom you say he is, he is our God. But you have not known him. I know him. If I were to say that I do not know him, I would be a liar like you. But I do not. But I do know him, and I keep his word. Your father Abraham rejoiced that he would see my day. He saw it and was glad. And so Jesus basically just said, when they asked, who do you think you are? He's like, God glorifies me. Uh, I know God. I keep his word. You don't know God. No, in fact, you're a liar. Uh, and oh yeah, your father Abraham, he actually rejoiced that I'm here. He saw me and he was thrilled. Y'all, this is like serious playground smack talk. Uh, Jesus is just straight putting these Pharisees in their place. But they've got one last comeback for Jesus. Look at verse 57. So the Jews said to him, you are not yet 50 years old, and have you seen, uh, have you seen Abraham? And they're like, wait a second, you're not even 50. Abraham, he was around like 2,000 years ago. Like, how have you seen him? They think they've got him cornered, thinking surely this man is crazy. And then look uh, how Jesus ends the interaction. It's like a mic drop statement. Look at verse 58. Jesus said to them, truly, truly, I say to you, before Abraham was I am. So Jesus just dropped the mic and he just walked off the playground. Because whenever, whenever Jesus says truly, truly, uh, that means it's time to listen. Uh, this is the second time he's done it in this interaction. The first is when he said if they obeyed his words, they would never taste death. And now when he said before Abraham was I am. And just so we can understand why this is such a bold statement, the name for God known as I am, it came back in Exodus chapter 3, uh, many, many, many years after Abraham. So chron chronologically, God revealed himself as the I am after Abraham. And Jesus just said, before Abraham was I am, uh, which, uh, which he is saying uh, was him. So Jesus basically just said he, that he transcends time. 
that he was there with Abraham and Moses and the God that spoke to them, um, that, that, he, that was Jesus. He was there. And so believing all this was crazy and blasphemous, we, re- we read our final verse, verse 59. So they picked up stones to throw at him, but Jesus hid himself and went out of the temple. They tried to stone him, but Jesus yet again got away. Uh, he dropped the mic and disappeared. Jesus called them children of the devil. He said that if if they keep his words, they will never taste death, and that he also transcends time. Y'all, C.S. Lewis, as he said, there's no way around this. Jesus is either a madman, a crazy person, or he is who he says he is. He should either be adamantly and wholeheartedly rejected like the Pharisees did, trying to stone him, or he is the son of God who came to take away the sin of the world. I don't care how you slice it or dice it. Jesus was offensive, Jesus was direct, and he exposed people. He exposed evil. Yes, Jesus was a gentle shepherd that we'll see in the coming chapters of John, but he was also loving in his directness. And because Jesus knew he was at war, he was sitting there talking to his opponents that were following the devil. And in the Bible, there's no riding the fence. You're either on team Jesus or you're on the devil's team. We're either on the bus leading to hell. I mean, sorry, we're either on the bus leading to heaven, driven by God, or we're on the bus leading to hell, driven by the devil. And there's not a third bus. Either Jesus drives the bus or the devil drives the bus. Those are the two buses in this life. And every person on this planet is on one of those two buses. And the default bus where everybody starts because of our sin is the bus to hell. And again, I know this is intense. And I know this is very direct. I'm just trying to mimic Jesus' directness in our passage. One of the most loving things we can do is tell the truth. There's a bus to heaven and a bus to hell. And every person on the planet is on one of those two buses. But New City, we can't forget our good news that Jesus came to rescue his people off the bus to hell and put them on the bus to heaven. And you better believe that the devil will do everything in his power to keep those people on his bus. And we also need to know that the devil is seeking to discourage those on Jesus' bus. But to be frank, the devil is powerless for those on Jesus' bus because Jesus will have his way. Jesus wins. But in the meantime, until the war is over, we need to remember we're in a spiritual war and we need to know the tactics of the enemy as we go to battle. We saw last week that those in Christ, uh, we've been set free from the bondage of sin through believing in Jesus dying on the cross. Jesus sets us free. And what we know is that we aren't set free from the presence of sin in this life, but rather we're we're free from the power of sin. Because when we look around, we see and know that sin is still present in our lives and the lives around us. But those who are in Christ, don't forget that in Christ, sin has no power. We would say it this way. We're not released out of the war, but we're released and empowered for the war with the assurance of victory. We've been set free, not from the fight, but for the fight. All those who live on this earth, we are in a war. We're either on team Jesus or the devil's team. So let me ask, which team are you on? Do you know? 
The only way to be on team Jesus is to trust in Jesus. Belief is the only requirement. Belief in Jesus places you on Jesus' bus. And there's no hiding this. Team Jesus is the team I hope and pray that you will be on, but true faith in Jesus is required. We're either children of God or children of the devil, and that's how we're going to structure the last third of our time today. Number one, children of the devil, and number two, children of God. As we look at these two opposing armies, quickly, uh, we're going to look at the first point to study the devil's tactics. And as followers of Christ, I hope this will be helpful. This will keep us aware and alert. It's kind of like our defense. Uh, These are the fiery darts of the enemy. But the difference for Team Jesus, like I've said, we're no longer enslaved to them. And we have a promise of victory. And in the second point, we're going to see what comes with being children of God. We're going to see a picture of hope. We're not here to only defend. No, God has put us here if we're children of God to take enemy ground and to conquer. You know, the second half of 1 John 3, 8 says, the reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the works of the devil. Jesus came to conquer. He came to destroy the devil. Being on team Jesus comes with a conquering king. Oh, I love this stuff. I love war stories, movies, swords, books. I'm fascinated by all of it. You know, I've been given several swords and knives over the years. And this past week, I brought out some of them and I showed my kids. Uh, It was a lot of fun. They loved it. But I also know uh, is that war is much more fun to read about and watch and pretend play with Nerf guns than to actually be in a real live war. Because what we also know is that there are tragic casualties in war. There are real life struggles and heartache and pain and bloodshed. And as we think about life as a spiritual war, we should think about it the same way. Except the casualties look different. The casualties in our spiritual war look more like broken marriages, relationship strife, loads of debt, loneliness, burnout, worry, crippling fear, and on and on and on. You know, I read in 2019, according to Gallup survey, after 70 years of tracking personal happiness in the United States, Americans in 2019 were the least happy collectively we've ever been. And let me remind you, that was before 2020. So no hiding this, right now, anxiety is at an all-time high. One in two marriages end in divorce, and the average American lives 10% above their means, no matter the income bracket. Yo, we are in a spiritual war, and the enemy's tactics are subtle and destructive. But what are they? Let's look at number one, the children of the devil. These are the way the devil's tactics deceives uh, the children. The devil deceives the children of the devil are enslaved by them, and children of God are not immune to them. There are two wartime tactics that I want to point out that the devil uses uh, that we'll see in our text. There's one recurring, more generic theme that come with the children of the devil and scattered throughout our text. And I'm going to run through these quickly. So the children of the devil, verse 37, uh, we saw Jesus's word finds no place in them. Verse 38, uh, they do what they hear from the devil. Verse 41, 41, they do the works of the devil. Verse 44, they do what the devil desires. And to sum all of this up in a simple way, and to help this make sense, uh, those who are the children of the devil don't listen and obey Jesus, but rather they listen and obey the devil. Now, I think this seems pretty obvious, like there's no shock here. But what I want to point out about this more intently, because 
uh, the devil's primary goal is the exact opposite of God's goal. They're opposing each other. They're opponents. And the devil's goal is to get all of us to not just obey the devil, but to disobey God. And the best way for the devil to get his people to disobey God is to keep them from knowing God, to not know Jesus, to not know his words and his instructions, because the devil knows if someone knows God and they see God and hear God and see his beauty and his greatness, they will seek to worship and obey God. Because when someone encounters the beauty of God, the ugliness of the devil is revealed. And so the devil's best tactic in spiritual war is to, uh, letter A, keep people away from the truth of Jesus. That's the first tactic, to keep people away from knowing God. The devil knows all that God has, and the last thing the devil wants are for people around the world to see how great God is. And so the devil will do whatever he can to keep people in the dark and blinded. Because again, the last thing the devil wants to do is to let people see and know Jesus. This is, why, and this is why in places where the name of Jesus is not known, spiritual warfare for gospel messengers is massively intensified. This is why persecution and depression and loneliness and moral failure and being blacklisted out of countries is so prevalent where the name of Jesus is not known. This is why second generation believers are so hard to come by uh, in an unreached people groups because the devil wants to attack and squelch any flame possible that would make the gospel known where darkness seems to be winning. This is why church plants that are seeking to take new ground and making the gospel known with evangelistic fervor in new places experience such difficulty and struggle within the first few years. Because when you seek to push back darkness, darkness pushes back. This is why sharing the gospel is often so hard because it's the last thing the devil wants us to do. The devil wants to keep people in the dark. New City, the devil's best tactic is to keep God, the God of the Bible, unknown. It's to keep people in the dark. Anything that involves making God known will be met with spiritual warfare. Because again, when we seek to push back darkness, darkness pushes back because we are in a war. This is why I pray that as a church, we would be raising up gospel stallions, that we would have men and women that are not afraid to run into the darkest corners of the earth and just straight up punch the devil in the nose day after day after day by boldly proclaiming the hope of Jesus. You know what deduction this leads me to say to us? If you want to punch the devil in the nose, tell someone about the love of Jesus. Take enemy ground and strongholds, pray for the unreached and the lost, and boldly and lovingly proclaim the gospel. But do you know what else the devil does? In the same vein, using the same tactic, the devil wants to keep Jesus' words out of us. The devil wants to keep God's word away from us or to make us apathetic about God's word or to doubt it. The first thing the devil did in the garden shouldn't shock us was to sow seeds of doubt into God's word. Because as soon as someone knows God, the devil's next tactic are to keep, the, to keep them away from God's word, from knowing God more deeply, attacking desires to not read God's word or to meditate on it or study it or stirring up doubt in it and keep, keeping people away from places where they will hear it and be in it. It should not surprise you if you don't desire to be in God's word 
or if you're apathetic about it, or if there are struggles to be under the teaching and preaching of God's word, because that is the last place the devil wants you to be. Because if you are in God's word seeking to obey it, you are less likely to obey the words of the devil and follow the desires of the devil. New City Church, if you want to punch the devil in the nose, delight in God's word. Get in it. Know it. Memorize it. Meditate on it. Pray it. Abide in it. Sing it. Teach it. Get in a group and get others to join you in the word. Because again, the first tactic is to keep the truth of God's word away from us and out of us. But there is a second tactic of the devil that I want to point out. Uh, It's in verse 44. Let's look at it again. You over your father, the devil, and your will is to do your father's desire. He was a murderer from the beginning and does not stand in the truth because there is no truth in him. When he lies, he speaks out of his own character, for he is a liar and the father of lies. New City Church, the devil is a liar. He is the father of lies. If the devil can't keep the word out of you or away from you, the next thing he will do are to whisper lies to you because the devil is the father of lies. These are the devil's tactics. Letter B, he whispers lies. And may we remember that most of spiritual war that we experience, most of it, it will happen within us. One of the better books that I, I read last year was by Jenny Allen called Get Out of Your Head. And she said, one of the greatest battlegrounds of spiritual war in our day is between our ears. (laughs) It's in our minds. It's in our heads. The devil's wartime tactics from the beginning of time have been to whisper lies to us. Whispering to us things like, you're not good enough. You're alone. He whispers things like, nobody likes you. You're unlovable. You're helpless. You're going nowhere. He whispers the thoughts of, you're worthless, you're not beautiful, you're not worth fighting for. You know what, the next next thing you buy, it will make you happy. That person's approval, they'll validate your worth. That next drink, that next indulgence, it will ease your worries and stress. New City Church, it is all a load of lies. It is a total heap of garbage. The devil wants to keep the word away from you, and he will whisper lies to you. He'll whisper lies to you, to me, to your spouse, to your friends, to your leaders, to your family, your boss, because he is the father of lies. And if you want to punch the devil in the nose, identify the lies, call them out, bring them to the light, and declare boldly what is true. Because New City, we are at war. The devil wants to discourage you, and he is fighting fighting to keep you out of the war. Christian, don't believe the lies. Believing that you're not lovable because God, uh, don't believe that. Believe, believe that you're lovable because God sent his son. He gave up everything and left, he left heaven for you to rescue you. If you believe that nobody loves you, this is what I want you to do. I want you to email me this week so I can tell you, no, that is actually a bunch of garbage because I love you. My wife loves you. Our staff loves you. Our leaders love you. Our church loves you. Our elders love you. You're like, I want to do whatever I can to put people around you for you to know that, yes, you are loved. If you believe the lie that you don't have what it takes that you're not good enough, maybe because of some standard that came from the world, I want you to recognize that as a bold face lie. Because as a follower of Christ, God has placed his empowering spirit inside of you that came with gifts from heaven. And he wants to use those gifts for his kingdom in a unique and a special way through you for a unique people that nobody else on the planet can do. 
He has made you and called you and equipped you for a task that he set out for you to accomplish before he ever created the world. If you are a Christian and a follower of Christ, you absolutely have what it takes to do what God has called you and equipped you to do because his spirit is inside of you. If God calls you, he has equipped you. He will equip you. Again, I want, to recognize, I want you to recognize the lies from the devil, step into the ring, punch him in the nose with what is true, and look down on the devil and tell that weak, powerless devil, you have no power over me. Let's go. New City, listen. I really believe this. I want you to pay cl- close attention right now. Because some of our deepest sin struggles are often rooted in some of our deepest pains. Just to say it again, deep sin is often rooted in deep pain. The devil entices us with destructive tactics and lies, believing the pain will be healed with more destructive activity. Because if you trace back to some of your greatest struggles, somewhere in there, there is probably, very likely, a bed of lies fed by the devil, buried somewhere, built up over time, that you may not even know are there. And if you want to punch the devil in the nose, Do some really deep heart work in exploring and try to bring those lies out of the dark and work to bring true gospel healing to your pain. Do this with your D group. Do it with your your city group. Find people around you and do some deep deep heart work and pull out those lies that we believe. And I wouldn't be surprised if the place where we're believing the most lies is actually the place where God wants to use you the most. What if the gift of connection and love that is being fed to pornography is actually the gift God wants you to use to connect with other people in a meaningful way? What if the ongoing loneliness you experience that are lies from the devil is the the enemy keeping you from being the pursuer and community builder that God created you to be? What if the drive and the tenacity placed inside of you to build God's kingdom with fierceness and power is being fed and curbed by an addiction? What if the lies of material possession and comforts are keeping you from extravagant generosity that God created you to do and to take part in? What if your fears and worries are moved to fearlessness and courage? What if your apathy about the Christian faith is an indicator that you aren't being challenged, that God actually has far more for you to live out with zeal and passion? Again, what if the greatest gift God has put inside of us for his kingdom are being fed and curbed by lies from the devil? Let me ask, what lies has the devil whispered to you that are keeping you from living out the fullness of God's purpose for you? And you know what's so ironic about all of this? What we need the most to battle all the lies from the enemy are the words that are true, which directs us right back to tactic number one. The devil wants to keep us from the words that are true. Y'all, these two tactics from the devil in spiritual war, keeping the truth of God away from us and whispering lies to us, they are certainly not the only two tactics of the devil, but if we can recognize these two, we're off to a really, really good start. Let's look at a few things to get to our last and final point and to land the plane. Now, in contrast to what we just read, these verses I'm about to read shouldn't surprise us. Verse 31, if you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples. Verse 32, you know the truth and the truth will set you free. Verse 47, 
Whoever is of God hears the words of God. Verse 51, truly, truly, I say to you, if anyone keeps my word, he will never see death. Verse 55, we see that his children know him and keep his word. This should not surprise us as those who are number two children of God. Because if the devil's tactics are to keep us from God's word and to speak lies to us, God's tactics are to bring us to his word and to bring truth to us, which we've already discussed. New City Church, I want to close with this. If you have trusted in Christ, you are his child. You are a child of God. And, if you have, and you will never taste the full sting of death that is realized in hell. That's what our passage tells us today. And you know what's so great and so empowering about being a child of God, being on Jesus' team? He's fighting for you. You're not alone. And as we've said many times, Jesus will win the war. Jesus sees and knows all the devil's tactics. And yes, uh, they will sting and hurt for a moment. But hear this. As children of God, Jesus doesn't leave us wounded forever because he's not only the commander of the army, he's not only the valiant warrior who is fighting for you, but hear this, he is also the medic. New City, Team Jesus comes with a medic, with a healer, with a comforter, with a restorer that heals you and helps you and restores your soul. The devil's team, they don't know healing. Nothing on the devil's team will heal them. They don't have a medic. They don't have a counselor. They don't have someone to nourish their soul in the war. But when we get knocked down in the war as God's children, he says to us, come back to me. Sit with me. Be nourished by my word. Let me remind you of what is true. Sit at my feet, weep, cry, mourn, grieve, and find healing. New City, this is a daily thing for us. We are in war. But as his children, he has equipped us with his word and his truth and the spirit and prayer and a community of people that love each other and are going in the same direction, fighting the same cause against the same tactics, needing the same healing. Y'all, we can keep punching the devil in the nose. We can keep fighting the good fight. We can keep making progress and we can keep pushing back darkness. And when darkness pushes back, which it will, guess what? Your medic is there waiting for you to come and sit with him so you can get back up the next day and go punch the devil in the nose again. New City again, may we as a church see that we are at war. We are in a spiritual battle knowing the devil's tactics. But may we never lose sight that we come fully equipped with one that has it all and wins it all and helps us to keep fighting. And his name is Jesus. And so let me ask, which team are you on? Which army are you on? Let's pray. God, we're, we're in a spiritual war. But God, we know and we trust when we follow Christ, we have a valiant warrior. We have a conquering king. And it come, he's also the medic. God, he heals us, he loves us, he nourishes us, and he helps us get back up day after day after day. God, I don't know who came in this morning struggling, down, out. God, I pray that they would know that they have a medic waiting to heal their wounds. God, I don't know who came in this morning discouraged, down and out, Father, would they know that they have Jesus, their valiant warrior, fighting for them? We ask this all in Jesus' name. Amen.